Hey friends and welcome. Listen, life is a journey filled with unexpected detours and most of us have experienced at least one and maybe more life-altering pitfalls. How we choose to react and grow from heartbreaks, roadblocks, stumbles and struggles, well, that's where the magic is created. Tune in twice a month when me, Kathy Talone, asks, and then what happened? You don't want to miss an episode as we go on a fascinating journey with new and old friends sharing their ups and downs on their unique path to personal freedom. I'm so grateful you joined us. Thanks for being here. Hey, everyone, and welcome. This is Kathy Talone, and this is And Then What Happened. I am so grateful for you to be here today, and I have the most beautiful guest. Wait till you hear Emma's story. Emma grew up in the corporate and governmental worlds. Never knowing what she wanted to do, she followed her dad's footsteps and went into law enforcement. After a short stint, she went into the corporate world and eventually transitioned into working for herself, pivoting completely. She has worked for big companies, United States Secret Service, Nike, and Apple, but always felt like her impact was meant to be more meaningful and bigger than what she was doing. It was through her personal development journey that she found her way to current calling, animal communication, and human design. Now she lives with her human design and creates the impact that she has been longing for all of those years. She supports humans and animals through her offerings in human design and animal communication. She gives a voice to the voiceless. She helps animals and the guardians create deeper, more rooted understanding in their relationship while providing supportive healing to the animal as well. Emma Jensen, I am so excited for you to be here, and I just cannot wait for our audience to hear your story. So you and I met, I want to say about three years ago, we were in Mm -hmm. um, an elite mastermind, a women's mastermind together, and that's when I first really got in touch with you, I think, because we've worked together. And I'm not going to reveal all of that right now, because I want the audience to hear about your backstory, who you are, where you're from, and kind of your, you know, in your ongoing journey. All right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Wow. It seems like a lifetime ago that we met in that mastermind. And that was such a pivotal time for me to be just to be gaining confidence in who I was and not who I thought I was supposed to be, because that was a big part of my journey was having to uncover and remember and to reveal back to myself who I truly was and not who I thought I needed to be in order to be loved or what I needed to do or be in order to be successful and to be seen as someone with value. And so it was such a beautiful time because so many of us grew up with conditioning, right? We were told or shown or modeled that we were meant to be, we needed to show up in the world in a certain way, that we should do life in a certain way. These are the steps you do in order to get to whatever your thing is that you're wanting. And when we're able to really take a step back and, and reflect and to truly tap into ourselves and see what is it that I truly want? 
that's when the magic gets to happen. And the magic can sometimes be a little bit challenging and sometimes um, triggering and activating of things that you thought were true for so long that you're learning are not actually true for you anymore. And that was a big part of my journey. So as you were saying in my my bio, I I didn't know what I wanted to do for forever for so long. And I just kind of followed what I thought I was supposed to do and ended up getting a job with the Secret Service and did that for almost three years. And knew that that wasn't where I was supposed to be. I There were a lot of things that uh, for anybody who has worked for the government who is listening to this, understand it's a slow moving machine. And there's just a lot of things that, that didn't support me. And so looking to the private sector for me, just wanting to find that thing that said, yes, you've made it. Like, yes, here you are. Look what you're doing. You're doing it. You're successful. You, you're happy in what you're doing. And, and that's really where my journey, I would say really begins because it's where I started to truly learn who I was. Okay. So when we talk about being in the secret service, yeah, I mean, that's, in at least in my vision, that's like high level accomplishment, right? And when we talk about accomplishment, of course, that's, you know, in someone's scale. But I mean, Mm -hmm. to work for the Secret Service, like you said, you're working for the government. So take us just quickly through that. What was that about? What were you feeling? What were you, where were you living? What did your life, what was the vibration of your life at that time? Yeah. Uh, it's so funny because I, I one of a memory from that part of my life came up yesterday on on my Facebook memories. So I was living in DC and I was working. So I I kind of split my time, but most of my time when I worked there, I worked with the foreign missions branch. So I was working a lot with embassies and foreign diplomats and protecting kind of the the embassy kind of area. Um, and everything that has to do with that so, in in the I, D.C. area. Sorry to interrupt, but what is yeah. protecting? You're saying it was you were protecting. What does that mean? So within the Secret Service, there are, well, there are many branches, but there are two kind of significant ones. There are the agents and then there are where there's the uniform division. And funny story, and I won't get into it, but I ended up working for the uniform division and essentially we were police officers. So we had both federal uh, abilities for protection and to enforce and also local. So we had the same ability to enforce the law as the local police department. So my, the majority of my time was Okay, so if we ever had alarms go off or people broke into them, we would go and ensure they were okay. And there are so many things that go with working with foreign embassies because they are themselves a country. So there are lots of different ways that the local police was like, we don't want to deal with it because it's a lot of extra. But Okay, so you were physically protecting the embassies. Yeah, there were like there. I was part of a couple of um, investigations, one to do with uh, domestic violence, 
um, drunk driving. I mean, all the typical police stuff as well. So it's yes and with a lot of it because, yes, you know, our primary mission was ensuring that the heads of state and not necessarily diplomats themselves, but like ambassadors and different things were protected or you know, immunity things were handled in the right, in the right ways. And if we were driving and somebody ran a red light or was speeding or got hit by a car or an accident or a motorcade or whatever, like we, we did all of that as well. Okay. That's super fascinating to me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so I didn't know that level of depth that, um, you were actually doing that physically. I'm not sure how that got beyond me, but that's really incredible, Emma. Did you have a title? Like, did you, I don't, I don't know really anything about this line of work that you're explaining yeah. to me right now. So do you actually have like a commander title or? Um, yeah. So it's very police. Like, mm-hmm. um, I was, I was an officer. So okay. where I worked, there was, you know, officers, sergeants, lieutenants, captains, all of, all of that rank. And I was still, um, in the, in, as an officer, and I was bike trained, so I rode a bike around sometimes also. And I was also trained as, well, like towards the end of my time, we started a program. I think they still do it. And I don't exactly remember what they called it, but we called it the Friendly Dog Program because it was dogs that were not um, German Shepherds and Malinois. They were Beagles and Britney Spaniels and they were there to essentially kind of smell along the fence line of the White House wow. to be able to sniff out if anybody had anything they were not supposed to have that could cause harm to the area. And I wasn't one of the handlers, but I was one of the people that was trained to step in if a dog alerted. So I would step in and have that conversation with the person and potentially do whatever needed to happen in order to ensure if there was a real threat that it wouldn't come to fruition. All right. That's great. You are a total badass. I honestly, (laughs) I'm sorry. I had no idea. I didn't know, you know, what this was all about, but holy crap, that's like crazy girl. Okay. So you were doing this for three years. Yep. Which is, I mean, a lifetime when I imagine when you're doing that intense work. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's a lot. And it, we didn't get a lot of days off and we'd get a lot of days that or you know, forced overtime to stay over and come in early. And yeah, I was just thinking so was you, must not, you must not have had too much of a life. <laughs> no, your life was was your people was at work was yeah. was it. And and we would do tr- we would travel and we'd go to events. So if the president or the first lady or the vice president or heads of state or anything were doing events, whether local or nationwide or worldwide, we would go and work those events as well. So it also gave an opportunity to get to see some places that were were pretty um, fun as well. Super cool. Super cool. You must have some really crazy stories. Maybe you and I can talk about those. (laughs) I bet you do. I bet you do. All right. So three years, you had this super intense job and then you were transitioning and you left there and you went into, why don't you tell us about that? 
Yeah. So then I went to Nike because it just wasn't, it wasn't working. It's not, you know, I thought, I thought it wasn't working because I wanted to put roots down back where I grew up in Portland, Oregon and, um, you know, searched for jobs and found one at Nike and sounded amazing. It was heading up this, um, or being part of this new program that they were starting that essentially was to help their products not leak or get out into the public before they were ready to tell them. They had been having quite a few leaks of really big uh, basketball shoes that were that were coming out that people like really wanted. It was a <laughs> I I never knew how much people loved sneakers until I worked at Nike. I didn't know it was a thing until I worked oh, yeah. there. My husband, my husband's a sneaker guy. He used to be a big <laughs> sneaker guy. So yes, I can completely relate to all of that. Oh yeah, I had no. I it was such mm-hmm. a learning experience because we went in and essentially our job was to learn the process. How was footwear made? Who was part of it? Where were all the security leaks <laughs> or soft spots within within the process along the way? And forging a lot of relationships. And so walking in there and it pretty, pretty early on was made pretty apparent to me that it was not going to be a very supportive place for me and my growth. And it only continued to, to show me that, but I was in a place where I didn't trust myself. And I was told that, you know, you don't get a new job until you have another one lined up. And I was so stressed by the end of it. So I was there for about three and a half years and I was so stressed at the end of it that I, I couldn't think straight. I couldn't see straight. I had no idea what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to do something with animals, but I had no idea in what capacity and I couldn't find another job. And eventually Nike gifted me and maybe in the moment didn't feel like it, but gifted me with an opportunity to either stay and essentially they'll find a way to fire me or to leave. And I took every opportunity to say, yes, please, I will go because I've been wanting to leave for a while now and didn't have the trust in myself to do it. And this was my first real experience of jumping off a cliff and saying, yes, no, like this is not fulfilling me. This is not allowing me to stand in my worth. I need something different and trusting that the universe was going to provide. You mentioned something though, and I just want to go back for a Mm -hmm. second. You couldn't get a new job without, no, you couldn't leave your old job without getting a new job. Was that Mm -hmm. your own mindset or was, who was telling you that? That was something that my dad told me. Okay. And so it goes back to, you know, these are the steps of how you're supposed to live Mm -hmm. life and this is how you should do it. Mm -hmm. And you don't because it doesn't look good on your resume if you leave a job and don't have one and you have a break in it and, you know, all these different rationalizations. And so, I mean, I remember hearing that and just being like, but I don't know what, I don't know. And just feeling so helpless because I didn't know what I wanted and I couldn't see straight and I didn't know what to do. And the universe, I was making these pleas to the universe before I had this language and they were providing these little breadcrumbs for me to follow. One of them being this invitation to a dog summit that had personal development 
baked into it. And I didn't even know personal development was a thing. And so that, that led me to my first coach and my first program of learning about myself. And I went out on a hike with my dog. And while I was out on the hike, I said, okay, God, what is it that I'm supposed to do? I know I meant for something more. I know I meant to do way more than protect footwear and apparel. I know I need to be working with animals in some capacity. Like I need you to show me what it is. Like if you can show me, it was such a surrender moment for me. If you can show me, I will do it. And on the way home from that hike, I got the text from Apple that said we're hiring wow. and I didn't trust it because I was like, but this isn't it. This isn't animals. <laughs> but wait, this is basically doing what I was doing before. Is this really where I'm meant to go? And that whole path of that, of getting there kept saying, yes, this is where you need to be. Like trust the process. I know it's not what you thought it was supposed to be or what you wanted it to be, but this is what it needs to be for you to get to where you need to go. Okay. So now you're, wor- you're working at Nike and you said you were there three and a half years and you mm-hmm. were miserable. It was sucking your soul. Of these, uh, I'm, I don't mean to put words in your mouth, but that's kind yeah, of what no. I'm getting. Okay. Yeah. It was not great. And because <laughs> of some generational paradigms, right? <laughs> your dad saying, Emma, this is the way that the corporate world works, right? This is the system that we follow. And you bought into that, understandably, right? Because you trusted your dad. But here you are, so unhappy. Now, where was Nike? Were you in on the West Coast at this point? Yeah, I was in Beaverton, Oregon. Okay. Okay. At their headquarters. Right. Okay. So, and now you get um, invited to a dog summit, and you knew that you wanted to be connected to animals on some capacity, but now you're just even... now you're just almost seeing the light veil, you know, the universe behind this light veil. Is that right? Yeah, it started opening up a new possibility, okay. of a, a new world, a new way of doing things. And it was kind of the life raft that I was looking for because I was listening to this woman who is a dog trainer and a personal development coach mixing the things together. I don't want to be a dog trainer. I don't want to be like any kind of animal trainer. That's like never been my path, Mm -hmm. but I love obviously animals and my dogs and I love understanding how to best support them. So I've been to quite a few dog training summits, if you will, but it was, she gave me light that there was a different way. Do you, re- do you remember some of the little nuggets that she, you know, placed on your path? Oh, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's been so long at this yeah. point. I mean, the fact, really her, her role was to open up the path of a different way. And this open up to this world of personal development and to introduce me to some friends that I'm, I'm still friends with today and partner with. And that really was her role in a lot of like what she brought to my life. Right. Cause you weren't necessarily, you weren't necessarily open to all of it, but it was just like some baby steps that you were taking. That's super cool. Cause that's, that's a manifestation in and of itself, right? Oh, hundred percent. I love that shit. So here you are, you're with the dogs, you get a text from Apple and then what happened? And then I didn't trust it. <laughs> like I said, <laughs> yeah. I was like, but wait, I, I said animals. This is not animals. This is because it was really doing essentially 
close to the same job I was doing at Nike at Apple. Literally everybody I interviewed with at Apple said they loved working there because of the people. Uh-huh. And that was showing me that that was really where I needed to go. And so I took the leap and I moved to um, like the San Jose area, the Bay Area in California and worked at Apple at their headquarters in uh, Cupertino. Wow. That's so cool. I mean, this is like all very, very high performing things, right? I mean, when you're talking about government security and then you're in Nike, basically you're back in security. I mean, what was your title at Nike? Just remind me. Uh, I was a product. Product security, product security specialist, I think, was my title at at Nike and uh, secrecy program manager at Apple. Wow. Yeah. So it was all very um, security-ish based in, in different capacities. And yeah, each one by themselves is like a lifetime achievement for most people, right? It's like, I did it. I Secret Service was my dream for a long time when I decided I wanted to do federal law enforcement. And I did it. But it, it wasn't the impact that I wanted to make. It's what I thought I was supposed to do because it was easy. And then I went to Nike and, you know, they get thousands of applications a month. And it kind of just fell into my lap a little bit. And yet again, you know, it wasn't the impact I wanted to make. And then I land myself at Apple, same thing. And it wasn't the impact I wanted to make. And each company is is amazing in their own ways. And I'm not taking anything away from anybody who works any in any of those places. It's that for me, my impact is held outside of those those bounds, outside of protecting product and ideas and IP and different things like that, my impact lays in, in connection and congruence and helping people be and animals be more authentic. Like that's what lights me up. So I'm just trying to put together this kind of thread that I'm, I'm really feeling right now, because again, through your work with the Secret Service and the government, and then with Nike, and then with Apple, and it's all security-based, which is all secrecy, which in a way is completely opposite of authentic authenticity, right? I mean... It can be. I mean, yeah, it, it's about transparency, right? And if you're being authentic, like we're all secret in different ways, right? We're not all exposing ourselves to everybody with everything. We all have different guards and walls depending on who we're with or where we're at. And it was kind of the same thing with all the different jobs that I've had too. Secrecy was the thread, right? So I'm just curious with kind of this polarization right now that I'm seeing between the secrecy and these high level positions that you held, when did that start creeping in and when did when did you start? I mean, you spoke about you asking the universe for direction, but mm-hmm. when could you actually see it for what it was? Does that make sense? When could you put a name to this feeling? When was the awareness? Uh, when were you aware of the awareness, I guess? Mm-hmm. So part of me was always aware that, I, that what, what I was doing wasn't it mm-hmm. because that's why I kept searching for something different. But when I truly understood that it didn't matter 
where I was, if it was Nike or Apple or, or somewhere else, that it was more about how I was showing up and who I was. That all happened at Apple. Um, it was really when I started to learn about myself, which was me diving headfirst into personal development and having four to five coaches at one time helping me understand myself and helping me uncover who I was and my purpose and all of those buzzwords that we're always looking for. That was really when I started to learn, oh, (laughs) who I've been and how I've shown up is not me. That's actually somebody else who I thought, who I created because I thought I was supposed to be that person. That's who people wanted. That's who people would like and not who I truly was. So it was really, I would say, you know, six months or so into Apple, I had a much deeper vocabulary and awareness and understanding of who I was and where I was heading. I mean, that has to suck seriously, right? Because I mean, but just for so many women that I speak to, and even myself, once we get to that awareness, it's kind of like, oh, damn, you know, (laughs) because I was so good at being this person. How do I now transition into this? And what does this even look like moving forward? So what was going on for you through this process? Yeah, I mean, it actually was very liberating for me. It probably <laughs> was. For you. Like I I and I and I get what you're saying and for me I had I had this this feeling that what people said didn't resonate, but I didn't understand why or how I was going through life didn't work, but I didn't understand why. And when I started to learn about who I truly was, so many things started to fall into place. So many things started to click. Some things did not. I mean, don't get me wrong. I told, I told plenty of people like, how dare you tell me that that is who I am? I I am not that person. (laughs) And then come to find out, you know, six months later, a year later, like, Oh, I am so that person. Like I wasn't there yet though. I couldn't see it. I wasn't able to feel and understand that yet because I hadn't done the uncovering work enough to get to that point. So for me, it was just really liberating and also gave me the language to have deeper conversations with people and myself about who I was and how I was showing up. But it also helped improve all of my relationships because it helps me understand me, but also understand us together, understand them, understand how we can be better together. And so for me, it was like lit a fire of like, I want to learn more. I want to do more because I am so grateful for what this job is giving me. And I know it's not where I'm going to be forever. And the faster and the more I give myself to this process, the quicker I can get to that impact that I truly want to make. Wow. Okay. So you were just right on the path of trust. Sounds like, I mean, between the four and five coaches, right? You're, you're, you're feeling, (laughs) you're feeling pretty supported. I mean, that's, you know, what a gift that you gave to yourself, um, Mm -hmm. for the journey that you're on. Now tell me, how old were you at this time? I started working at Apple when I was 30, almost 31. Um, and the coaches that you have, just for the listening audience, maybe, there's someone out there right now who's in a similar situation that you are right mm-hmm. now, maybe thinking about this pivot and this transitional time for them. 
What were the coaches supporting you in? So I had, I had many different coaches. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had a spiritual coach, which I called her an energy coach at the time because I didn't understand the language around and I wasn't comfortable with spirituality or that kind of language yet. So she was more of an energy coach. I had a person, like a more personal development coach that was really helping me understand me and my limiting beliefs and all of that. I had um, a coach who identifies as a high performance coach. So kind of like the Brendan Burchard type um, realm of things and types of coaching. And I've learned a lot along the ways of, of coaches too, of who works for me and who doesn't. Uh, I've had a mindset coach and a business coach. I had a coach who helped me in deepening my connection with meditation and um, with connecting with my animals, which kind of led into me understanding, developing, becoming aware of, remembering that I can communicate with animals. Okay. I cannot wait to talk about that because <laughs> that is, I mean, that's what we're leading up to right now. But just staying focused on this coach thing just for another minute, mm -hmm. because I really want to, you know, I'm a coach, I'm a transformational life coach for women and helping that process of bridging from, you know, where they are, where we are and to where mm -hmm. we want to go by, you know, creating really strong visions, et cetera, et cetera. So again, just for the listening audience and some women whose ears are just perking up right now, can you just... Mm -hmm dive a little bit deeper into how that, you know, whether it, whatever verbiage you want to use, whether it bridged this gap for you, whether it, you know, showed you the path, but what was the significance of this for you? Like on a real deep level. I mean, they gave me permission to be me. Oh, I love that. Okay. Is, yeah. is really it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They gave me permission to explore it, to see what is possible, see what I'm possible, like what's possible within me and to then go after it and see how it all unfolds. So yeah, they gave me the permission to be who I'm meant to be in this <laughs> lifetime. That's so awesome. I mean, that was, I was kind of like ready for this long explanation, but you, you nailed, you nailed that. Like that was, that's it, right? It's just mm -hmm. that simple, even though it's not easy. Um, right. and what would you say to some woman who was saying like, either I can't afford it or like, I'm just not really there mm -hmm. or maybe it's not worth it. Would you give them some words of wisdom and advice? Oh, totally. Because I've been there and you don't have to have a high ticket coach or a high ticket program in order to become yourself. It's, finding the modalities and the the places and the people that really speak to you. There are plenty of podcasts like this one that speak to different mindset tools and give you different insights. There are books, there are different, different exercises and workbooks and email newsletters that you can get that most of these things can even be free that can help you become more you, that can give you more insight into you, that can make you curious and bring things to your awareness for you to play with, to continue on your journey to where you get to a point where you maybe do have the funds to have a more one-to-one -one or group program that you can dive into and 
it's finding the people that resonate with you and also understanding that they may not resonate with you forever. And that is perfectly okay. And your coach is your coach for however long that they're meant to be your coach. And you may decide that you need to walk away from that person sooner than, than the container says. And that's okay. That's been a big part of my journey too, is, is learning what resonates and who resonates and knowing when to walk away because it's no longer serving me. And it has nothing to do with the person. It has everything to do with me. Thank you. That's, that's just a really amazing advice. So continue taking us on this journey because I honestly, everybody like I'm just asking right now, keep an open heart and open mind. When we're supporting each other, when we're tapping into our authentic being, this is what can happen. We peel away who we thought we were, who we were expected to be. And everything you're saying right now, Emma, I just, Mm -hmm. I absolutely love this again, just this transition. So continue on and, and let us know. How this happened. I love this part. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I ended up signing up with a coach who, and honestly, I didn't know animal communication was possible, was a thing, was anything until I went to Apple and, and went on this journey to my, to finding myself. And so I started working with a coach who is a canine intuitive and she was giving me some insights into my own dog because he has had always been very anxious and very stressed out. And that stressed me out because I want him to have the best life possible. And if he's stressed out and anxious all the time, he's going to have a shorter life because he's going to you know do all these things and um, it's going to do all these things to his health. And so trying to really understand him and she ended up doing a mastermind that led into, you know, communicating with animals and what that mastermind really gave me weren't necessarily the tools to communicate, but the permission to try and to see what, what is possible. Because I really, we all kind of found our own way to what worked for us in that program. And then I just started playing with it. I was so curious and was practicing and with the other girls that were in the program and was finding how it came really easy to me. And they were, you know, they, uh, most of the girls in the, the program were dog trainers. And so they were posting dogs that they had in that they needed help with like training or behavior stuff. And, um, yeah, just like exploring it and going down that path and, you know, coach after coach and next coach. And the next coach is like, so when are you going to quit and do this full time? And I was like, I'm sorry, what? (laughs) Wait, what? (laughs) I don't know that I can do this full time. Like, is that possible? Which then kicked off another layer of growth and understanding and healing within myself. And, you know, I was somebody who needed 200 signs before I did anything. And I would keep asking the universe, like, I need a sign that it's time to go. And they'd give me a sign. I'm like, but are you sure? Like one more sign. And then they would give me another sign. And eventually I had a coach tell me, you need to, actually it was Amber, you need to um, offer these, like offer sessions for some kind of fee. And you can donate that fee if you want to, but you need to prove to yourself that there are val- that there's value in what you're doing and that people will pay for it. 
and I didn't do it. <laughs> I didn't do it for months. And finally I did it and I offered 20 sessions, I think at $25 and I donated $5 from each one to a rescue and I sold out pretty quickly and I actually ended up doing, <clears throat> excuse me, I think 22 readings. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. So like this actually is a thing and people, people will want this. And eventually I finally sat down to tell my manager that I was leaving and I maybe made it, you know, five words before I started crying. And of course it's Apple. So everything's glass. <laughs> so everybody could see. And I had braced myself for these conversations I was going to have and people telling me I was crazy for leaving Apple to do animal communication. Okay, so that was my question. Do you remember the first dog that you commun communicated with? What was communicated? Like, what did you do when you first heard this communication? Mm -hmm. Was it two-way? And I know that you're going to get into this a little bit more. <sighs> so I don't, I honestly don't remember my first, first animal. I want to say it was Ranger, who's my dog. Um, but I can tell, tell you for sure, because I did a lot of these meditations where y your dog would kind of come in and talk to you, which is animal communication, but also felt different to my process now. So yes, I can, I can definitely count that. And yet there is one communication that changed everything for me, which was pretty early on. And it was with Ranger, who's again, my dog. And I wanted to ask him, I went in thinking it was going to be a very quick and very kind of, you know, like you were asking type A kind of conversation of, okay, what are you scared of stuff? Like, what's your number one fear? And then, you know, we'll tackle that. Like we'll put on our, put on our like game face and we'll train it and we'll do it. And like, everything will be great. And I connected in with him and I asked him, what are you scaredest of? And he said, you not learning what I'm here to teach you. Oh, no. Yeah. And that shifted absolutely everything to me because one, it was obviously much, his behavior was much deeper than a loud noise or a person. And it taught me that animals are animals are here to teach us things. That's and, crazy. Okay. Yep. Keep going. Yeah. So I asked him, okay, so well, what are you here to teach me then? And he said to, uh, to be present, to trust myself, which is something, you know, I continue to learn and to love myself more than anyone else. And I remember saying to him, Oh my gosh, I love you so much. And he said, yeah, that's the problem. You love me more than you love yourself and you need to love yourself more than anybody else. And that was really when I learned, I just kind of assumed we all loved ourselves, right? That was just an inherent thing. You didn't have to work towards. It was just like, was part of who you are. And that conversation opened up a lot of, oh, maybe it's not just a given. Maybe it is something deeper and it set me off. And so the more that I step into those things, the less anxious he's become. So he is not the same dog he used to be like four years ago when I started this journey. 
he is so much more stable. He's so much more calm. He's so much more like himself. And so that would be the, maybe not the first conversation, but an early conversation and a very uh, meaningful one for me. So that feels like a plot twist to me because like you said, you sit down and you're like, this is so cool. I'm just going to talk and have a conversation with my dog, right? Yeah. I mean, I would never, I'm not going to put words in your mouth. I would never expect him to kind of turn the table on me and say, <laughs> we're talking about you. I'd be like, dude, I'm going back to Apple because I can't handle, like, no, my dog is not my therapist. You know, I mean, this is, that's in, that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I definitely did not expect it. Uh, like I said, I was like, okay, like what's, what's the thing? Is it loud noises? Is it people? Like we can, totally. we can work on it. Like we'll just like make a plan. It'll be great. And yeah, so he's really been my teacher in a lot of ways for myself, but also for the other animals that I communicate with and their people, because a lot of times the behaviors and things, even illnesses in a lot of times that animals have or go through or develop have to do with us. And so it's why a lot of my readings, their people, the guardians tend to cry because they're not what they expected. They're much deeper and they're much more connected to us. And it can be easy to disregard and be like, no, that's not the reason. Like it's because it's a loud noise. Like that's what it is. And that's your journey and that you get to decide what resonates for you. And you also get to, you can try different things at different times if that feels good too. And so it's, yeah, it's been, it's, it was, it was a plot twist for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, so what I'm thinking right now, I'm just curious, like, well, did your coach, I mean, is this what happens in animal communication? Is, is it always about the lessons that we're supposed to be providing? I'm sure that there is some trauma that an animal, and we can continue to mm -hmm. talk about this, because I know you work with horses so much, and a lot of these horses yeah. that you work with have so much trauma. But in a, did your coach kind of prepare you for this? Is, is this? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. So this, uh, this, was, this was yeah. really just, I mean, you were on this path, and this was something divine that came down and was like, girlfriend, this is what you're here for. This is yeah. what we're going to show you. This is what you're going to learn. And you're going to um, support other animals and humans in this mm -hmm. human animal process. Is that about right? Yeah. Okay. Yes, exactly. But it, there was no was... way you as this type A person could ever have like <laughs> kind of envisioned no. it this way. Mm -hmm. I never imagined that it would have ever turned to be on me. And if my animals have taught me anything, it always comes back on me. Mm -hmm. And it's beautiful. And it's so, I'm so grateful for them. Even the ones that are very blunt and very direct and have a lot of sass. And yet it's to make me better. They're here in my life to be part of my journey and to help me become the person I'm meant to be here. Remember the person that we all end up forgetting to come here to have this experience. And so when they're acting off, it's likely because it's something to do with me. One of my horses jumped a fence 
and got this wound on her leg. Very weird. Yes, she's a young horse. And a lot of people would say, well, it's a young horse. That's what they do. No, it was very out of character for her. And when, and it took me a long time to connect in with her and ask her why she did it. Cause I knew it had to do with me and I was not ready to hear it. And then I, when I finally connected in with her and asked her, it essentially boiled down to, she said to me, you need to raise your confidence in order for the rest of us to, sur- to thrive in our surroundings. Wow. And I said, all right, <laughs> this is why I need, this is why I needed some time to to like bolster myself before coming in because I knew it was going to be, she had to do it to get my attention. Wow. And they're always going to escalate there, whatever it is to get our attention. It's why some, if, if Ranger was, was reactive, that wouldn't have gotten the same response from me as him being anxious because him being response or him being reactive. Oh, okay, great. Like we got that. We'll manage it. Like, we won't go to places where you're going to be reactive. And if we have to, like, we'll put a muzzle on and it'll be fine. Like that to me, like there's so many logical steps, but the anxiety and the nervousness was causing so much un- like discomfort for me because I knew his life was, was being impacted by it. And that didn't feel good to me. And so that's what got my attention to go down this path really to begin with to ensure that he could have the best life possible, which then led back to me and the things gone. And yes, animals have their own trauma and they can be reactive because of the trauma they've experienced in the past hundred percent. And as their guardians, as their stewards, if we're able to show up with them and be fully present and allow them to be who they're meant to be and maybe not who we want them to be, but who they truly are and form that connection with them, they're way better at releasing trauma than we are. And so a lot of that is going to fall away if you're able to build that bond and that, that foundation together. And then what's left is you a lot of times and your stuff and what you're here to do. So a lot of people listening right now might be like, this is crazy. Like it might be the first time they've ever heard of animal communication. So again, kind of getting back to that last question that I asked you about, what were people saying? Number one, early on, because I imagine that you didn't even have that kind of self-assurance at that point. Well, you know, Mm -hmm. Ranger told you that, (laughs) that that you didn't, but, and then, you know, the journey since then, with mm-hmm. what do you say to people right now who go, girl, like you're crazy. This, this is not true. This is, um, yeah. so, so how do you address that? And for people again, mm-hmm. who have just hearing this for the first time, um, what do you say to them? Yeah. So like I said, you know, animal communication was something I didn't know existed until I went into my own personal development journey. So it's, I would say relatively new to me. I mean, it's something I've been doing my whole life, but didn't consciously know I was doing it. Um, but you know, I haven't really had a lot of people say, girl, you're crazy. I've expected it a lot and haven't always gotten it. And a lot of times I attest that to a few things. One, being so grounded and rooted in who I am and what I'm doing that 
it doesn't, I don't necessarily attract those people to begin with. So a lot of people who maybe would think that maybe didn't make it to the end of this podcast because they were just didn't resonate with my energy over the podcast or just people that don't decide to reach out to me or, or whatever. They keep their words to themselves. I don't know. But even at Apple, when I would share it with my coworkers, who most of them are ex-military, uh, ex-law enforcement, um, engineers, you know, very brainy people, not necessarily super spiritual people. I really didn't get that there either. And it's also, I attest it to that. And I also attest it to my own human design, which is what helped me become who I am. But part of mine is waiting for the invitation. So I'm not out there like trying to convince anybody or telling people they should use human design or not, sorry, should use animal communication for their relationship. I just simply tell people about my experiences or post about them or wait for them to come to me. And then I will share about animal communication or whatever. Um, so I really attest it to, to those two things of really being in my own design and feeling, feeling really grounded and, and rooted in, in my own abilities and being okay with people not resonating with it and allowing them to go their own way and have them have their own experience. Cause just because I can communicate with animals doesn't mean everybody needs to experience it. Yeah, I love that. And I think that's such a good lesson for all of us on so many different levels. Like not everybody's on our path. Not everybody needs to be mm-hmm. on our journey, right? And and that's exactly. just it. Once we um, really get clear of who we are in our authentic self and our values and our convictions, then a lot of people just kind of, I don't know, fade away or they're just not, yep. they're not there with us. So Exactly. Thanks, Emma. Thanks for that. I just want to um, explain to everyone listening right now how that happens. So if somebody reached out to you like we did and Mm -hmm. say, you know, my dog has this, my dog has that, walk us through the process. Mm. Yeah. So my process is I have found that through exploring kind of the different ways, I will say, of, of communicating with animals, I feel the most connected with them through meditation. So I don't do sessions over the phone or live in person or over Zoom. I do them through uh, through meditation because for me, it's where I, it's where we get to create this very safe space for the animal and myself to be fully together and not have to flip kind of between two worlds, if you will, the, the being connected and communicating world and the human world. And so when you reach out for a session, it's now set up so that it's all done online. And so you put in any of the questions that you want to ask your animal, whatever you want to tell them. So maybe you want to tell them, Hey, when I call your name, I'd love for you to come. Um, I've had that happen before. Or whatever it is that, that you're curious about. Like, why do you do this certain thing? Or how can I best support you? And 
then when the time comes, I pull up the image of the animal and I work with crystals personally. I really love crystals and the energies that they bring to us physically and to an energetic reading as well. And then we kind of get to work. I open the space and the animal comes in and our guides and our angels and anybody else who wants to be part part of it comes in and we just kind of get to work and we get to ask questions and we it always ends up going deeper than the questions that people ask because there's usually follow-up questions or I can sense that they're not saying the full story. <laughs> so we go a little deeper. Um, and then, yeah, after the, the reading's over, I send you the full transcript of everything that happened and an audio recording of uh, the crystals and anything, any kind of imagery or things that came up within the reading itself as well. So interesting. Does it always go back to the owner or? No, it doesn't always go back to the owner. And if it's, if it's something that's, and sometimes it's, it, there's some kind of illness or something that's under the surface. There's I've had times where animals have explained that there's like environmental toxins that are really playing with their, their senses or their mind. Um, so it's not always going to be the person. I don't want people to think like, Oh gosh, (laughs) I'm in, I'm in for it now. Like I'm signing up for, you know, to get yelled at or whatever. Get called up by my animal. Yeah, exactly. And I, but that calling out, I see it as such a gift because it gives us such an insight into how we're meant to be better and how much they care to essentially, you know, put themselves on the line to give us this message in a way that a lot of times doesn't feel good to them, right? Like being super anxious all the time doesn't feel good to them. And yet they're willing to do that to help us on our path. And we help them on their path as well in different ways. And so there's, there's not really a theme. It's so individual. It really depends on the animal, on the, the animal, you know, guardian connection and what they're going through. I mean, I'm very connected to my, to my animals. And I just knew that when she jumped a fence, it had nothing to do with her being a baby. It had something to do with me. Mm-hmm. And when she, you know, like got a, like a puncture wound on her face. I knew that had to do with her being a baby and had nothing to do with me. So it just kind of depends on what it is and only they can really tell us. And we have to give them the space, whether it's you giving them the space with you together or having somebody be a conduit for that, but giving them the space to share why they're here, who they are, what they want. Because a lot of times we just assume we know what they want and say, well, you're a dog. You'll love swimming. Let's go swimming. And the dog hates it or the dog hates, hates warm weather. Or we say you're a horse, so you're meant to be ridden and they don't want to be ridden or they don't want to jump or whatever the thing is. And if we can show up saying, Hey, I want us to both have the best life possible. What is that for you? And are we a good fit with all of my animals besides Ranger? Because I didn't know I had this gift at the time before I adopt and bring an animal into my family. I ask them, are we a good fit? 
is this, are we meant to be together? And (laughs) there have been plenty that have said no. (laughs) So it's, it's, it's giving them the voice to have a say in the conversation, in the relationship. That's when things get to become much deeper and more connected and can transform your life. Well, I remember the second time that I reached out to you, we were actually, it was just over a year and a half ago when we were moving here to Costa Rica, Mm -hmm. where I am talking to you from right now. And we weren't sure we were going to bring Buddy. Um, And I don't need to go into all of that, but we wanted to find out where, kind of where he was emotionally. He's not a real giver of love. And you Mm -hmm. taught me that because... What Buddy said to you and what you told, you know, my family is that he's part of the pack. Of course he wants to come. Why wouldn't he want to come? Yeah. And, you know, I was thinking, I don't know. I don't even know if he likes us, <laughs> you know, and we, oh. we had him for over seven years. He's just not that giver. But you actually taught me this and you said that that's, that's not all of the relationship is about, right? Mm-hmm. Because everybody expresses love differently. And his response was, you guys are my people. You know, why wouldn't, why wouldn't you even bring me? So of course we brought him and he's doing great, but that leads me to talk a little bit about like that. Do you think there's a higher intelligence with animals? Is there like a specific intuition that they have they're plugged into that we're maybe separated from or we forgot about? We're all connected. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're all connected. We all have access to the same source. And animals can be so much better at getting out of their own way to accessing it. They don't, they, they're they able to let go of things so much easier. They're able to be present in, so, in a much deeper way than we are. They're not always putting different meanings on things. And so it's a lot of times it's just easier for them to, to tap into that source than it is for us always, because we can put meaning on things where there's not, or we can make something mean something that it doesn't. And we can be very human to, to say it plainly. Uh So no, they don't. And in my experience, they don't necessarily have access to something different than we do. They just tend to have cleaner access Mm. to it than we do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Almost like a purer path, right? Yeah. There's not as much of this stuff going on. Just like, you know, and I'm not, you know, I'm sure your dad's an amazing, amazing mentor and um, person for you. But it's just these kind of generational things that were passed down. There's a lot of stuff that we have to work through that I'm getting that the animals don't necessarily need to clean up in their own lives to, um, express. Exactly. They don't, they don't always put so much meaning Mm. on things. And we, as their guardians can be a little more open to who they, who they are and who they're meant to be and support that instead of saying, well, no, you're supposed to be this thing. And not to say some of us don't do that. And for the ones that we, for those of us who do that, those are the animals that are going to have a a harder connection. They're the ones that tend to have more difficulties that maybe have more illnesses or injuries or behavior problems because 
we're looking at them and telling them they need to be something Mm. they're not. And that's the same thing that happens with us. When we tell ourselves we need to be something that we're not, that's when the illnesses come and the injuries and the exhaustion and burnout and the things that a lot of us have accepted as normal that aren't normal. And it's allowing all of us to take a step back and say, okay, who are they meant to be? Who am I meant to be? And how can we both support each other in that expression of our truest selves? It it just seems like there's so many layers to this. We could continue to go on and on. But what I'd really love to to hear quickly is uh, about your work with horses, because that's honestly, I love, I am feeling called to horses, Emma. And I'm just going to say it's because of all of the things that you post. And I'm like rooting for horses now that are on your Facebook feed and like, it's so cool. So talk about your um, special relationship with horses and the organizations that you're working with. Yeah, I love that so much. Horses are magic. I mean, they've always been special in my life kind of forever. Um, and there's a big part of it where I, I didn't work with them in any capacity because life and, you know, different things. And since moving to Bend, I have been here for about three years and have realized that I've adopted a horse every year I've been here. So just collecting them for every year I'm here. And I have learned so much. So I have really gotten into the wild horse kind of arena of things, if you will, because two of my horses are formerly wild Mustangs. They came from a reservation nearby and were rounded up. And so many, the roundup process just alone is traumatizing. It is really hard on them. Many horses end up dying, whether it's from exhaustion or from injury, whether during or after a lot of them try to jump out of pens and can break legs and and break necks and different things. And so I, I, I have this deep connection and I had a a spiritual mentor tell me, you know, you're almost more horse than you are human. And I feel like you came in into the wrong body almost. And they just have this ability to bring us present, bring us forward and to get us back in the moment and not let us kind of uh, drown in our own self too much, whether it's through them making us laugh or kind of them nudging us to be like, hey, like get out of your head and come back here. And, you know, I don't do any, you know, work, if you will, with horses, like equine facilitated classes or anything like that. And yet I feel like I do that every day I'm out at the barn just with myself and just being present with them and allowing them to be who they are. And yet they, one of the reasons I'm so passionate about them is that I've learned so much in becoming part of this horse industry and so many horses are not allowed to be who they're meant to be that we tell them, no, you live in a stall when they're meant to live on land and no, you need to go and perform right now because this is the time that I showed up to do it, even though you're sleeping or even though you're hungry. And I'm not saying that's true for everyone, but there's so many horses I've worked with that are doing things that don't necessarily feel good to them, but 
they've been taught to do that. My first horse was completely shut down. She had likely never had a voice in her life and she just learned how to cope. And so she was quiet and she would allow you to kind of do whatever. And as we built our trust and our relationship with one another, she became very vocal about what she wanted and how she wanted it. And that, no, I don't want to do that. And I don't want to do it right now. And it really allowed me to start to see things from the other side of it as well. And so there are a lot of organizations that, um, I, I kind of work with in some capacity, whether it's doing readings for horses that are coming in or, you know, there's so many that end up at kill pens that are neglected and starved and are just waiting to get shipped off because horses are still an animal, even in the U S that gets shipped to slaughter. And whether that's not in America, we don't slaughter them in America. They go to either Canada or Mexico, but where I got my two babies from in the reservation, they basically round up the babies. They round up everybody. They take the babies and they ship everything else to, to, to slaughter. They don't even try to adopt them out. Sometimes they do. It just depends. But a lot of times they take the babies out and they only take the babies out because they're not of weight and they can't ship them. So, Otherwise, they probably would ship them too. I'm so ignorant on this. Why do they round them up in the first place? Because they're – so the West is covered in different areas that the government have deemed to be okay for wild horses to live. And this could open up a whole can yeah. of worms, so I'm going to keep it really like succinct and concise. Um but essentially, because they're not, there's no, um, um, there's no programs to geld or like a spay and neuter type of situation for horses that the populations continue to grow. And so they round them up to make the, the numbers suitable for whatever they decide that that land can hold. And so they'll round up a certain amount of horses every year and if it's the government, so the BLM is who manages the the government-sanctioned-ish like wild horses, and then the different reservations have their own rules, right, and their own laws. So, yeah, it's – I didn't – I actually, again, just like I didn't know animal communication was a thing, I didn't know wild horses existed until two and a half years ago. And now I have two of them, and they're both under two. Um but what a yeah, heartbreaking I mean, situation. I had no idea any of that's going on. I mean, I've yeah. seen bits and pieces that you've posted again, and I, mm -hmm. but not to the extent of what you just explained to me. Yeah. Unbelievable. So the organizations that you're working with right now, do you want to um, mention a few? Yeah. So the two that I primarily kind of support are is Three Sisters, Equine Rescue, and Bend, Oregon. They... They do a lot of within the wild horse population and within domestic horses. I mean, the same fate can be found for racehorses. They adopted a horse last year who was severely amused at a kill pen who was sold at some point for $80,000. Wow. 
and was a racehorse and won, won races. And yet his fate at like five years old was near death at a kill pen. And so they take a lot of these, they'll take in a horses and they'll gentle them if they're wild or they'll rehabilitate them and then adopt them out. So they're a great organization and we've, I've done a lot of readings for their horses and ones that are near death and ones that aren't in, in all of the work that they're doing. My latest adoption of a wild, my wild Mustang came from them. And then Sky Dog Sanctuary, which is, uh, is also in the Bend area, but they also have a Malibu ranch in California <clears throat> and they, they don't do adoptions, but they take in a lot of wild horses and they essentially give them their freedom back. And so <clears throat> I think they have about 9,000 acres. It's absolutely beautiful. They have re- reunited so many family bands of horses that now get to live out their freedom because not every wild horse that gets rounded up and gets adopted out and gets gentled or tries to get gentled is suited for domestic life. Mm. Some of them don't want it and they, they will not accustom to it. And so giving them back their freedom on thousands of acres is the kindest thing that we can do. And they do it with such such peace and such joy. And they support horses that have a lot of health issues and they're happy to do it. And they're happy to, to spend the money to help them get healthy and to do their feet and to do all sorts of things. Cause even though they're wild, they still need to get some stuff done so that they remain healthy. So those would be the two that I support primarily that do a lot of really beautiful work in, in the horse world. And you're such a huge contributor to that. And again, just everyone needs to follow Emma. Emma Jensen, we're going to put all the links um, in the podcast and I'll be putting it on Facebook. And But Emma Jensen, everybody, follow Emma. The work okay. you're doing, not only is it so fun to watch because I see the horses interacting, but you mm-hmm. narrate this for me. You kind of bring, bring me through it, like look at, you know, what he's doing now and it's so playful and fun but also so serious so you brought so much awareness to me with the horses and then just add on you know the the animal communication that I've used twice and it's been such a gift you know buddy's with me right now which he almost wasn't so thank you so much for that um, the spirituality and the authenticity that you're bringing to this conversation, I just am so appreciative of you. And just for some final last words, I think I'd love to go back to the women that we're supporting right now, you know, mm-hmm. just through this conversation, because I know just, you know, you're a, a, a stone in the pond. It's just like this ripple effect. And Hearing your story is going to heal so many people and it's going to validate the path that they're on. So if you could just say right now to, again, women who are listening to this about this, and it does sound like it was an easy path for you and I'm, uh, that's not fair to say, <laughs> but, but it can be, um, you know, a huge roller coaster and a ton of discomfort. So what would you say to these women who are going through life-changing um, awarenesses right now? Oh, thank you for this opportunity. 
um, is to remain open and to know that it's really okay to sit in your emotions and to not have to force yourself through them. That is sometimes the best and the kindest thing that we can do for ourselves because even when it feels like nothing's happening, something's happening and we just can't know about it yet. And so if we're able to stay the path and do the things that make us feel uplifted and it might be different during different parts and seasons of your life and giving yourself the permission to do those things that feel good and keeping the awareness around, you know, does this actually feel good or am I coping and just allowing yourself to live and and wait for that, those, those moments and those downloads and that inspiration to come in because it will, I mean, I am currently waiting for some to drop in and it will, we just have to trust the process and trust that there are so many things happening that we just can't know about because we would likely get in the way of it. And so allowing ourselves to lean back on the things that feel good. And so having a support system whether it's your friends, it's a coach, it's, it's whomever is so incredibly important so that you can lean on those people during these times that maybe don't always feel great to tell you you're doing it. Like this is part of the work. Like you are going to get there and just like, I'm here for you until you get to that point. And then we can go through this again when the next one comes. Emma, I am so grateful for this time. I could go on and on talking to you. And I know I'm probably looking at the clock. It's the last minute. And I'm sorry to keep you so long, but your story is fascinating. And I just know that it's going to inspire so many people. So quickly tell me your Facebook, your Instagram, and your website where people can find you. Awesome. Yeah, my my Facebook is just my name, Emma Jensen. My Instagram is emma.in.design. And my website is www.connected-consciousness.com. Thank you so much again, Emma. And um, yeah, we'll be in touch soon. Sounds good. Thank you. 